Let me tell you a story of a new world that is coming. It is the story where brokenness is mended and justice is complete. It is a story where hope becomes reality and love has free reign. It is the story of a future that is whole, where all creation is set right. It is a story of a worthy redeemer making everything new. Good morning, Element. It's good to see your faces. I'm not going to lie. I'm like a little overcome with the worship this morning. So excuse me if I'm a little emotional when we start today. Um, It's a joy. It's a joy to see you guys and to have you with us and to continue this beautiful series. And I hope, guys, that you're letting this sink in, that you're, you're considering the truths of what we're sharing in this All Things New series because life is heavy for a lot of us right now. And without this hope, like, it's a little too heavy, right? So I encourage you again today to lean in. Lean in, because we're going to talk even deeper about what this promise really means. So we're going to start with our memory verse again, if we can put it up on the screen And kiddos, if you don't have your clipboards yet, make sure you grab them because we are going to have our e-kids corner after class today. So let's read our memory verse all together. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that you guys are hiding these words in your heart. I have to say on our eKids call this week, um, Miss Han- or no, that was at House Church. Miss Hannah asked for um, some promises of the Lord, and a couple of the kids just busted this one right out, and it just filled up my heart, you guys. I'm hearing, actually, I'm hearing all kinds of stories from multiple families of how you guys are working this into your lives, and I just love it. It fills up my heart. So last week, we talked about the new earth, the new creation, this planet, this world being made new, and how the earth itself and the creatures who are a part of it will be made whole and will be made new once again. So today we're going to take a look at the next step, a deeper layer of the promise, which is about us, about us, about the new humanity, and about how each of us will partake in this promise of all things becoming new. So last week we talked about three promises of the creation. And I'm going to revisit those because I think they're going to help us look at the promises for us too. So the three promises of creation made new. Number one, the earth will be made new, right? The kingdom of heaven is not us going up to live in the clouds. The kingdom of heaven is this earth, this planet restored. Number two, nothing will be lost. It's a pretty amazing promise if we think about it. Nothing will be lost. And number three, evil will be destroyed. Yep, I could go on about that one. But I already preached that sermon, so I'm going to carry on. Now, I want to tell you guys something. Um, last week, or no, it was two weeks ago when I, when I taught that message. I would like to say 
that after I spoke and it came down and the, the gathering was over, a vast majority of our children came up to me and thanked me for the message and told me how amazing it was. Like multiple kids came up to me and said how much they loved the message. And it struck me. It struck me because we remember the promise of Jesus, which says you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, when I was like speaking out these promises, I know that the kids are the ones who like grasped them first and deepest. I know because I saw it in their eyes and they came up to me. So kids, I'm going to invite you guys to lead the way again today in grasping these promises because it's true that our hearts have to become with the faith of a child so that we can begin to grasp what the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of heaven really is. So thank you guys for leading the way. All right. Today we're going to lean in further to the promises about the new humanity. And I want to be clear that these promises are given to those who choose the Jesus way, right? Those whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there are many passages in the Bible that talk about what will happen to those who don't choose the Jesus way. And today is not the day that we're going to unpack all of that. But these promises are for those who choose the Jesus way. To the, these are the promises for the children of God who, came, who claim God as their father, okay? And so we're going to talk about three promises for the new humanity, the new humans, the new us, okay? And here they are. I'm going to give them to you up front. Also, by the way, I know I'm talking to the kids a lot, but adults, I'm going to get to you. Don't worry. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, kids, I'm doing the kids' corner after the gathering, okay? And I would like you to note there is a mistake on your papers so any of you who catch the mistake, don't say it out loud now. Wait for Kids Corner. But if you catch it and you tell me, I'll give you an extra prize. Okay. I was a little disappointed about my mistake, but I decided to turn into a game. So great. Okay. Three promises for the new humanity. Here we go. Number one, you will be made new. You will be made new. Number two, you will be made whole you will be made whole. And number three, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Now these promises are given over and over again in scripture. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so stick with me. But I encourage you to engage these words and believe in this truth because this is the promise of the kingdom. So let's get right to the first one. Number one, you will be made new. Listen to this from Philippians to start. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Did you guys catch that? It's a pretty clear promise right in the scriptures that Jesus will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, okay? This is a specific promise, and you know what? I'm personally pretty excited about it. Now, I know that not all of you have crossed the point in adulthood where you, like, wake up in pain, <laughs> but I'm going to say I'm nearing 40, and this year was the year for me 
that like I wake up in more pain than I went to sleep in. And I'm like, what is up with that? I don't think this is how life is supposed to be. I don't like it. I thought sleep is like supposed to be restorative, right? But I am I'm, I'm in pain all the time already in my life, right? Weak mortal bodies are just, they're not the best. They're not the greatest. They're not the masterpiece of God's creation, right? There's something more promised to us. And it's not just aging. It's not just aging that plagues the weak and mortal bodies, right? We have been ravaged in our community by sickness that has taken some weak and mortal bodies away from us, right? And we're seeing COVID t- take a lot of toll in our world, right? And we've experienced injury and we've experienced sickness and we know that our bodies are not meant to last forever, not these ones, right? But imagine with me for a moment, if you will, the combination of a restored creation with a restored body. Do you remember last time when we talked about the restored creation and we talked about the mountains restored to their full pristine glory and the forests and the seas and all of that restored? Now imagine your body also restored, right? A body that doesn't get tired running or swimming or hiking or biking or whatever it is that you love to do in the outside. Imagine being able to like explore the jungles and climb the mountains and swim in the seas without any fear of being tired or injured or lost. Right? Imagine that amazing combination of all things being made new and our own bodies being made new because that is what it will be like in the kingdom come. Now, when I think of bodies being made new, there is a moment. Yes, it's in Narnia. We're going there again today, people. There's a moment in the Narnia stories where a body is made new. And I think of it every time. I think of it every single time that I think of our new bodies. And it happens in the silver chair. So if you guys have read this one, you know what I'm talking about. But it happens right at the end. And in this story, two kids named Jill and Eustace have gone on a grand adventure to save Prince Rillian from the dark underworld, okay? And they finish their adventure, and they are coming back to Care Paravel, which is the, the castle of the king, okay? And Rillian has come back, and he's going to be reunited with his family. Now his father is King Caspian. And King Caspian is a longtime friend of Eustace. Now, here's the deal. In Narnia, time does not work the same way as it works in our world, in the human world. So one time long ago, Eustace and Caspian were of similar age, and so they were really good friends, and they did another adventure long ago. But in this story, when Eustace comes back to Narnia, Caspian is very, very old. He's very old and sick. And it makes Eustace very sad because they used to be really good friends and they, have, they had a whole story in life together. But now Caspian is old and he's sick. And the end of the story comes with Jill and Eustace coming back to the castle and they see Caspian's ship sailing in. And they're so excited to see him. But when they look, they realize that Caspian isn't walking off the ship. They're carrying him off. They're carrying him off in a stretcher. And they see that he can barely breathe and he can barely talk. And all he can do is say one goodbye to his son, who's the guy that they rescued. He says goodbye to his son, and then he dies. He dies. And Jill and Eustace are so sad, and they just want to go home. They don't, they don't want to see their friend die. It doesn't make sense to them. But then Aslan comes, and Aslan blows on them, 
And when Aslan blows on them in this story, they tend to shift worlds or at least places. And so he blows on them and he takes them to Aslan's country, which basically is the kingdom of heaven, okay? And there they are in Aslan's country and they're, they're weeping and they're sad. And I'm going to read a little excerpt here. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream. And there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian, dead, with the water flowing over him like liquid glass. His long white beard swayed in it like water weed. And all three stood there and wept. Even the lion wept, great lion tears, each tear more precious than the earth would be if it was a single solid diamond. Now I always thought this part was so beautiful because what's about to happen is that Aslan's about to resurrect Caspian from the dead. So why is he crying? Why is he weeping with Jill and Eustace? It's kind of like when Jesus wept before he raised Lazarus from the dead, isn't it? He's not weeping because Caspian is dead. He's weeping because he's feeling the grief from his beloved Jill and his beloved Eustace, and he's empathizing with their pain. But then, but then, Aslan asked Eustace to pull a thorn out of a thicket nearby and to drive it into his paw, to drive it right into the lion's paw. And Eustace does not want to hurt Aslan, but he insists. So I'm going to read just a little more. Then Eustace set his teeth and drove the thorn into the lion's pad. And there came out a great drop of blood, redder than all the redness that you have ever seen or imagined. And it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. At the same time, the dead king began to be changed. His white beard turned to gray, and from gray to yellow. And it got shorter and vanished altogether. And his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh, and the wrinkles were smoothed, and his eyes opened and his eyes and lips both laughed. And suddenly, he leaped up and stood before them, a very young man, or a boy. And he rushed to Aslan and flung his arms as far as they would go around the huge neck. And he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king, and Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. This moment, this moment is the moment that we will all have one day, right? Where the moment of resurrection where the gray hairs vanish and the pain ceases and the youthfulness appears and the light returns to our eyes again, the moment of running to Jesus to embrace him, the moment of no more death and no more tears and no more pain, right? These weak mortal bodies are not our final dwelling places. And whenever I think of rising again, I think of King Caspian in this dream running to Aslan, giving him the wild kisses of a king. But let's read in 2 Corinthians, because I like the way this puts it too. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. 
But it's not because we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these bodies will be swallowed up by life. These bodies will be swallowed up by life. Guys, internalize those words for a minute because this is the promise of the kingdom come, that our bodies will be swallowed up by life. All right, number two, you will be made whole. You will be made whole. Now this is something different than being made new, okay? The newness will come in new bodies as creatures who are fully formed for the kingdom of God. But the wholeness will come in the reconciliation of our souls. The reconciliation of our souls. Now, this wholeness will come when all the broken pieces of our hearts are put back together. The wholeness will come when the union of God with us is fully complete and fills every part of our emptiness. That's when the wholeness will come. And right now on this earth, we are not whole. And we might long for it, but we're not there yet. We're not experiencing the wholeness that we were created for. Let's listen to this from Paul in Romans. He says, I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions such as they are don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly, parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I think we can all relate to those words. And more, the more we think about it, the more we can relate to them, right? But look what he says in the next chapter. He says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. It's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. 
I wanted to read this passage because I love the way that Paul puts that whole picture, okay? But I also love the reality of the contradiction of what he's talking about here, right? And it's something that we've, we've got to understand if we're going to live as children of God, looking to the coming wholeness, okay? It can be a tricky concept because we know in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that sounds like, well, I guess I'm new. I guess I'm whole. I guess this is the finished result of the work of Christ because the new has come. Well, that's not what he's saying. If you continue to study and you continue to learn and you look at this pregnancy analogy, what he's saying is that there's something birthed in us. The spirit of Christ is, is, is birthed in us. It's planted in us. But the wholeness is not complete. The wholeness is what we are waiting for, right? We are waiting to be made whole. There is a newness inside of you the moment that you receive Christ, right? But one day, we will be made completely like him and completely whole. It's not enough. It's not enough for God to make our bodies new. He also longs to make us whole, right? The life of contradictions that Paul talked about is not the end of our story, right? The constant energy that we expend to choose the Jesus way, what he's talking about in there, it won't be like that forever. It won't take a toll on us forever, right? And all the pain that you have experienced on this earth will be healed. And all the shame that you've carried on this earth will be shed. And all of the fear that you have felt on this earth will lose every ounce of its power. That's the promise of wholeness, right? The deep longings of our souls will no longer just be met by the mercy of Jesus, but they will be fulfilled by his very presence and by our complete wholeness. It's different. It's different than the that when we experience the Spirit of God here on this earth and when we feel like, oh, I feel peace, I feel joy, I feel strength, I feel the Spirit of God alive in me, this is just a whisper of what true wholeness will be like one day. We will be made whole. Finally, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. Now, this is one of those ones, like I was talking about last time, that can sound too good to be true. Or it can just sound a little awkward or weird or churchy, one might say. Like, I honestly feel like it can be a little unsettling. Like, I don't feel like this is a competition. I don't care if my crown is bigger than your crown, your mansion is bigger than my mansion, or whatever those things are that we've heard about, right? And it feels a little hard to fully embrace and understand. But the truth is spoken over and over again in scripture that reward, that word, reward, is a kingdom mindset. Reward is a kingdom mindset. And Jesus talked constantly about it. He did, okay? In fact, he mentions reward in the kingdom of heaven over 50 different times in the four gospels. Reward. He talks about the sheep and the goats. He talks about the parable of the talents. Again and again, he talks about our reward, but we don't talk about it a lot, do we? And I think that some of us probably struggle to believe it or to understand it. 
And I wonder if that's because we're humble, like I like to think it is, or is it because we're not fully living with a kingdom mindset? Is it because we haven't fully embraced this idea and fully understood it? So let's look at a couple places where Jesus specifically mentions reward. We're going to start in Luke. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And then he says in Matthew 19, Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. I mean, Jesus makes it sound pretty clear, right? A hundred times more, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There is reward promised for the sacrifices that we make for the kingdom there is i want to read a quote from c.s lewis because this one always challenges me so i'm gonna read it he writes if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Can you let those words marinate in your soul for just a few minutes? Can you consider the unblushing promise of reward? And can you see that it is good to long for it? It is good to desire good things. That's what God desires for you, and it is good for you to desire it, right? It is good to remember that as you live a poured out life on this earth, and as you open your homes for orphans, and as you feed the hungry, and clothe the needy, and sacrifice to show up for your church community, and pour out love to people who don't receive a lot of it, guys, those sacrifices are seen, and they are celebrated, and they will be rewarded. This is true. This is true. I'm not going to go into exactly what those rewards are. We've heard mansions and crowns. I don't know exactly what it'll be, guys. But as I've said before, like, 
I'm going to trust God with the desires of my heart and know that whatever he longs to give me is better than anything I could even hope for, right? So my encouragement to you in this idea of reward is to long for something good and then to trust God with that longing. To long for something beautiful and then to trust God with that longing. Now, to close us up today, I want to paint one more picture. It is not a Bible story, but it is a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite musicals. No, my definitely my favorite musical, Les Mis. The first time I saw this show, I was at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, and I was in college, and I didn't even know what it was. Like, somebody told me there were cheap tickets for a show in Atlanta. I was like, that's cool. I'll go see Les Mis. What is that? I don't know. And we sat in the second row from the back in the Fox. So it was like the nosebleeds of the nosebleeds. And the guy who plays Jean Valjean was the singularly most talented vocalist in the world. I am not kidding you. The best vocalist I've ever heard. And I was so far away and so like unfamiliar with the story that I couldn't catch a lot of it. But I caught enough to like be changed forever. Be changed forever. Okay. Like it wrecked me. It changed me. I walked out of that theater and I was never the same. Then I saw it the second time in London, and I was in the second row from the front. And this time, like, being able to see and feel and understand and witness all of the redemption threads in this story, like, I left this time heaving with sobs, heaving, like, weeping amidst the beauty and the brokenness and the redemption and the promise and the hope of this story. Because this story as any story worth telling is, is filled with threads of the one true narrative of redemption. So I am going to tell you something about this story, and if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, because I'm about to give you the very end. But it won't ruin anything, because everything's so beautiful, so you should see it a million times. Okay, very brief recap. <laughs> one cannot briefly recap like this. It's like an insanely long book, but it's the story of Jean Valjean, who is a French peasant, and it's about his desi desire for redemption. And basically, he serves 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread, right? And then he decides to break his parole and start a new life after a bishop gives him, like, an incredible act of mercy. So an act of mercy sets him on this redemption path. However, he is being tracked down by an inspector who knows his true colors and who doesn't think he deserves redemption, right? So along the way, Jean Valjean is searching for redemption. Inspector Javert is trying to get him and put him back into prison. And they get wrapped up in a story about the French Revolution, okay? And I want to tell you all the beautiful things of the story, but I can't. I don't have time, so I'm just going to tell you the end. Basically, a bunch of the characters in the story come to try and overthrow the government by raising a barricade um, in a protest. And many of the beloved characters of the show die. They die at the barricade. They die along the way. They die of sickness. They're abused, and they die. And at the very end of the show, Jean Valjean, he's gotten his redemption in some ways, but he hasn't received the final moment of forgiveness that he's been longing for his whole life. And he's about to die. And in this moment of on his deathbed, he receives his final moment of forgiveness, and then he dies. And when he dies, the stage becomes filled 
with all of the characters who have died along the way. And all of the ones who were broken and abused and murdered and died for their beliefs against greed and evil, they all come back to the stage. And they sing these words. I'm going to read them. It's going to be hard not to sing them. I'm going to read them. They sing. Do you hear the people sing? Lost in the valley of the night. It is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare. They will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade, is there a world you long to see? Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? It is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. So church, I pray that we sing today. And I pray that we believe in this light in this resurrection and redemption and reward today. And I pray that we will be strong and stand together, proclaiming the truth of God's love for his creation. And I pray that we will build a barricade of hope that will not allow the darkness passage any further. And I pray that if we die in the fight to hold on to that hope, that we will know that it is worth the sacrifice, and that we will be rewarded. Because that is the promise of the kingdom. We will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. We will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. Band, you guys can come up. It's another way of saying the one true narrative of redemption, right? I pray, guys, that we don't miss these promises, that we don't say they just sound too good to be true, that we don't just go about our day and and remain unchanged, because this truth changes us. I pray that we will be made new, resurrected and restored, and we will be made whole, all the broken pieces put back together, and we will live in the reward of the kingdom. So let's pray. God, we ask that this truth takes root in us in a new way today. We ask that these aren't just fun stories or pretty songs or hopeful promises, but that they become the truth that we build our lives on, God. I pray that you will speak what each of us need to hear about this, that you will make this personal, that it won't just be something that's promised for the grand creation, but it'll be something that's promised for us. Because you are our God. So Lord, we worship you today. We ask your truth to take root. In your name we pray. Amen.